Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Business of Freelancing podcast. This week, we will be speaking with Luke Fry. He is a CPA and a consultant on financial issues to lots of independent consultants and freelancers all over. And we're going to be talking with him about cash flow, projections, planning, what you need to know, and how you can weather the storm of this uh, COVID-19 and coronavirus pandemic and come out the other side better than ever. Hey, folks, thanks for joining us. This week on our panel, we have Ruben Lerner, Meg Cumby, Jeremy Green, Eric Dietrich, and myself, Kai Davis. So today on The Business of Freelancing, we're joined by my friend Luke Fry, a uh, CPA up in Washington. And we're going to have a great conversation today about uh, uh, cash flow forecasting, planning in these very uncertain times, and options for freelancers to generate some cash. So Luke, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Kai. Um, happy to be here. And uh, I always enjoy uh, talking to an uh, active audience who's really engaged and ready to hear something about what we're talking about, because as you can imagine, accountants don't usually get a very excited audience. So... <laughs> Um, you know, I'm, I am a CPA uh, licensed in Washington State, and I was also the first accountant at Bench Accounting. So for almost 10 years, I've been focused on very small businesses and some of the very basic stuff. I've uh, in college certainly done some internships in audit, and I've done some governmental internships. I've done governmental accounting. And for me, it really is just a lot more fun to help people like us uh, tackle the game as opposed to mega corporations. So that's a huge part of my focus. I also was a small business owner as a teenager in my uh, tiny town in Wyoming. And so I learned about quarterly taxes uh, when I was mowing lawns in the summer and how to pay quarterly taxes then. So a lot of this I take for granted being second nature. And I know that there's a lot of people out there who could just use some extra help. In these times, as you know, those indie businesses, those small freelancers or small agency owners, as uh, uh, cash flows get disrupted, new expenses pop up, clients cancel contracts because of just the uncertain times, what are some steps people can take to better understand when and where cash is coming from and whether they could sort of handle upcoming expenses? Absolutely. I think the most valuable thing any business can be doing if they picked one thing uh, for managing their cash and making sure they're staying in business, whether you're making hundreds of millions or billions or trillions of dollars, or whether you're making $100 is your cash flow, understanding your cash flow. And I'm not talking about what I studied in accounting as far as a cash flow statement, even though it might be helpful or useful. What I'm talking about is a cash flow forecast. And the best way to think about that in uh, regular people terms is it's kind of like a reservoir. So if you were to imagine a river going into a pond and then you put a dam on the end of it, and then at the, on the dam, you can release the flow out. So the money in, you can think of as maybe revenue, personal contributions, investments, and then this pool in the middle that maybe is a pond to start with and maybe is a very big ocean eventually is where you're sitting. And you ideally have control over how much comes in, but also how much goes out. And the real thing is it doesn't matter necessarily as much how much you have on hand. Some very profitable, very successful businesses may have very little cash on hand, but they have really good flow. So lots of money coming in, but maybe lots going out. And so what that means tactically in an Excel spreadsheet or a Google sheet is you always would start with what's your opening balance? What do I have coming this week? What's my ending balance? So again, the opening balance is really how much water, how much cash, how much is liquid uh, right now. And then the inflows could be things like accounts receivable, invoices that are going to be paying you, recurring revenue. You know, maybe you have some sort of productized service offering. You have a PDF that you're selling. You have some funny Zoom backgrounds that you're selling. You know, any of these things that are available, you can track and maybe you're tracking some sort of marketing metrics on ads. Um, but that's all the inflow. And every business owner should be doing, especially right now, 
a 13-week cash flow forecast. I actually do have a video explaining it in more detail with a link to a template that I can share with everybody. But the goal is don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. And it's not something that has to be penny perfect either. It's just general terms. Like, you know, your rent and other general stuff that you can't change is 2000 bucks a month, you know, and as freelancers or self-employed people, one thing that we can really rely on is this also works for our personal because our business is so directly connected to who we are. We're all at home right now. We maybe all were working from home to begin with. And so you can take a, your business part of it and your personal part of it. And every week you fill out, what are you going to spend? And then the next week you fill out the actual, I actually spent this much. And then you update each week moving forward. So it's a constant iteration of looking forward and reviewing last week. I love that as an approach. Uh, I'm curious why 13 weeks as the recommended uh, uh, time to use this for? It will vary depending on the person and the business. Um, I think we often, like any forecast, right? If you get the farmer's almanac and uh, you say, oh, this this fall you know, is going to be a wonderful harvest season, you know, it's kind of hard to buy into. But if you say, today it's raining it's very obvious it's raining and so something that's a bit more close to reality is easier to stay stay connected to and, and be invested in it's also far enough out that theoretically you could make some sort of a change i'm gonna say that maybe a lot of our selling cycles so the amount of time it takes from finding a lead to uh, converting them maybe is about a month or something like that uh, or just for an example. And so if you're doing 13 weeks, you have some time to adjust that or maybe run a marketing plan or do some ads or ask your parents for money, whatever you need to do. What kind of tools do you like recommend using to do that sort of forecasting mm -hmm. or like, is it as simple as a spreadsheet? It really depends on the person. I know, um, honestly, a notebook is totally fine. A piece of paper and a pencil. Um, I think wherever you are most comfortable is the most important place to start because I, even as somebody who is a CPA, has an accounting degree and has been in spreadsheets and doing this stuff, I get annoyed and overwhelmed with some softwares that do this really wonderfully. So I think the start where it makes sense to you. And so that probably means Excel or Google Sheets. Google Sheets is nice because you can share them more easily. We can collaborate on it more easily and you're not worrying about versions and updating. Um, I have been working with a software company uh, right now and I'm with all of my clients trying to go through their 13 week forecast uh, and it's called Dry Run, dryrun.com. Their pricing may be a little bit prohibitive for people making maybe under 100,000, um, but uh, I do find it to be very easy to use, simple, and they're actually offering it for free right now. Uh, so I think for the next two or three months, and I after that, I believe they charge about mm, 100 or $250 a month, depending on the plan. But it's really nice because you can say, here's the baseline, and it's totally customizable depending on what your scenarios are. So if you applied for the Paycheck Protection Program, if you applied for the Economic Disaster Loan, those are things that you could say, okay, here are some best case financing scenarios. So maybe one of them is that you applied for the economic development loan and you also applied for that $10,000 grant on it. And so best case scenario could be for you, you get the grant, but you're not approved for the loan and then you get to keep the $10,000. You know, but you could also run another version that says, I get that $10,000 grant initially, advance actually in this case, and you're approved for the loan. Now I need to build into, okay, how am I going to pay that all off? So Dry Run is great. Float is another app out there. Um, GRAV is another one I was recently introduced to, J-I-R-A-V. I don't have as much experience with them. They're all um, somewhat nuanced. Uh, another one that I know was free that was made by a bookkeeping firm is Cashview, C-A-S-H-V-U-E. And I believe that's free, but... Uh, on my view of it is very hyper detailed and some of them integrate with your accounting system. One very, very, very big distinction between this is I'm not talking about bookkeeping. 
I'm not talking about a profit and loss. I'm not talking about a balance sheet. I'm not talking about cash flow statements. I'm talking about some, those all look backwards. Okay. And that's where tons of the industry is in accounting, but where I want to go and where most of our automations and advisor level relationships are going is let's look forward. You know, don't look through the rear view mirror. Let's look forward and see like, what are the actual invoices outstanding? Who's actually going to be able to pay? And so it's not as important if it integrates with your accounting system as it is, does it let me do what I need? Make assumptions, guess, and update them every week. So you mentioned bookkeeping and earlier mentioned uh, Bench, uh, which I use and love. It's great. Uh, awesome. I, love, I love kind of being able to give that part of my business to somebody else to pay attention to those details because I want to be focused on different details. Um, are, are these services that you mentioned kind of similar in that level of service for you? Or is this software that people would uh, subscribe to and then be kind of entering numbers and, you know, running those books themselves? Um, mm -hmm. Wonderful distinction. And uh, the point you're making is, you know, how much of the work and heavy lifting are you having to do? Like how much of the responsibility are you delegating versus taking on yourself? And so, you know, a very big difference with Bench is they not only have the software platform, so proprietary software that exports to Excel and, you know, is usable. They also have people. So even though they're the most automated bookkeeping company I know in the world, they have hundreds of bookkeepers doing bank recs, okay? Because we're just not there yet for everything to be automated. And so when you buy any of these softwares, all of the ones I have mentioned, I don't know of any who are built like Bench. All of them I know of are software that you either have to operate or work with someone like me to help you operate, which is general advice I give to every business owner, I don't think it's important for you to be close to the details of the transactions. I think it's important for you to be close to the details of the um, financial picture, meaning hire somebody like Bench, hire an accountant to do the tedious heavy lifting, work with them to discuss it. Uh, so maybe you're spending the same amount of time. It's just on higher value stuff. That's a brilliant distinction. I love that. It uh, That nudged me in the right direction just overall. I love that the best practice isn't for me to like know to the penny every transaction, but like, oh, okay, got 2,000 of expenses going out the door this month, got 3,000 of revenue. Looks like I'm heading in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what if... Um what if you're getting a feel for what your cash flow is going to look like? You know, maybe you just do this exercise in the spreadsheet or use a piece of software. And then like, I imagine a lot of people right now, um, what you're looking at doesn't look good to you. You know, you're anticipating some attrition with your clients. You're anticipating maybe a lot of attrition or being in some trouble. Like if you look out over the next quarter and things look kind of bleak, what are some options that like freelancers might have, um, that you could recommend to kind of keep them going. Mm -hmm. uh, granted, there's going to be like some nuance there, but you know, loans, right. obviously there is this uh, triple P program. Like there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. What would you recommend that people look into and, and how to mm -hmm. know what to do? Yeah, it's a really good question. And um, I think a really important one and it's quite wonderful. I, I, not to downplay how horrific a lot of this is for the entire world and all of us. And, a lot of my clients, I have a, quite a few wedding photographers. And so I know they're going to be hit really hard, which means we're going to be hit really hard. And so I think the goal of doing this cash flow forecast is getting close to reality. And I think especially with accounting and taxes, most of us run and avoid it as much as possible. Uh, ideally, you're able to sit with this and, and with a level of acceptance. And if you can accept, okay, this is potentially what's going on. You might even start to enjoy, okay, what is the worst case scenario? And then what can I do? What is the best case scenario? And what do I need to do? So I think if you have a tool to really look at those objectively and say we end on the worst case scenario, what are some options you have? Maybe you are at a point where you realize you hated the work you were doing or you hated the client you were working with. Now is a great time to 
unload that dead weight uh, and and perhaps pivot. I try to avoid startup jargon as much as possible as a cliche, but maybe now is a time that you look at what you're offering and say, actually, I could do that for 100 people or I could do this for 10 people and I would love my life and they would probably like me a lot more too if I did that. Um, other things I've seen people doing are the Patreons. You know, maybe you have an active group of people who do follow you, perhaps Patreon. I know that uh, at least Kai for sure has talked a lot about product productizing some of your services. So again, trying to get some of your best drafts out there and, and put some sort of a paywall out. Um, it's tough, you know, even on our end at Timber, uh, I am trying to offer as much help to people as possible who are current clients. You know, that means I'm answering triple P questions, I'm answering SBA questions, I'm trying to help people with unemployment, even sole proprietors who may qualify. I'm doing free cash flow forecasting. A lot of this stuff ordinarily I would be charging for. So I think that there's an element of, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first, but then also, okay, now looking at everything that's going on, what other options do I have? Is there somebody I can collaborate with? Is there a podcast I can start? Is there a podcast I can be on? Um, it, if you can get out of the, I think, fear and panic mode, it becomes a really nice way to reevaluate things that maybe you can challenge the status quo. You know, we have all these people who have been working corporate or government jobs and it was never thought of that they could work from home. Well, guess what? Everybody is and we're doing okay. It can happen. I love that. I think that's a strong and powerful message for people, especially that this can be, you know, a huge disruption, but it doesn't need to be a disruption that's viewed entirely as a negative. It could be like, okay, things aren't going the way I wanted them to, but as you put it, you know, there's this other group of clients I could serve. There's another way for me to bring my services or my skills to market. I think that's a powerful message for anybody listening to this. Yeah. So, I mean, without getting like all the specific, like different plans and so forth, um, if I've got, um, you know, I think a decent amount of income coming in the next year, assuming even like some of my clients are going to be okay and I have some money in the bank, um, so I don't need to panic. Given all these loan programs that are being suggested um, and offered by the U.S. government, other governments to businesses, is it a smart idea for me mm -hmm. to go and take a loan just because I can? Um, it's sort of like see it as free money or is it sort mm -hmm. of wiser to say, you know what, I don't need it. I'm just going to rely on what I've sort of got in the bank. I think what you're asking is really more a question of morality and of values. And I think uh, I have actually struggled with this a little bit because I can look at the rules and even though they are and have been changing and unclear, there it actually does seem like many of my clients who maybe could weather the storm easier actually qualify and qualify for much more government help than those who probably need it most. And so the reality is we have seen some banks already exhaust their lending. I think that some more money will be dumped into these programs and maybe has been by the time uh, we're listening to this. But I would say that, you know, that's even probably a bit of a mindset thing with how we view money and how we view our relationship to money and whether we deserve it, you know, that sort of a thing. And I won't go too far in La La Land, but um, I think if you're doing good work, you're helping people and you are following the rules, you're not trying to commit fraud, um, you should apply. And if you get the money, then you get the money and try to do your best and do good with it and help people who maybe otherwise couldn't. Um, but I certainly could appreciate an attitude of, I have enough cash to go through a year. I know my clients are pretty recession proof. I'm going to just let everybody else get the cash that they need. I totally get that. So, you know, if there's bread on the shelf at the grocery store and it's the last one and you see somebody behind you, it's easier to say like, I'm going to let that lady get it instead of me. Um, so probably meditate and see how you sleep on one of those decisions. So just to circle back to one thing real quick, uh, earlier you mentioned somebody might want to hire someone like you to do mm -hmm. cash flow forecasting for them. What yeah. so, like what's the job title or service that they would be seeking? Because like I've talked to a financial planner before and it wasn't exactly that. It was more like, 
you know, you talk to them once a year of that and yeah. it's kind of, you know, here's, here's where you're going to be mm-hmm. by the time you get to retirement. Uh, right. Yeah. This is a strange world. Right. And I think one that because I have a degree in accounting is easier for me to understand. Like I'm looking at several of my accounting books. Like for example, this is one I like to get out. This is a 2016 book just on S corporations and it's many thousand pages long. Right. So people often say like, Oh, talk to your accountant. And the reality is that accounting can have so many different uh, levels of specialty, almost like a surgeon or a doctor. Um, and so I think just make sure that you're communicating all of your needs, like any successful relationship and that you're hearing it back to you. Uh, words I would generally recommend looking for would be like a CFO type of a thing, forecasting, planning, business advisor. Um, you know, I'm also realizing that on my website, I don't say anything about cash flow forecasting, you know, and so just have the conversation. I think most financial planners are going to be geared a bit more towards longer term investment and advice. Um, so it might be more of a day-to-day tactical person. So strategy, finance, that might be the other distinction is rather than accounting, forecasting is typically more of a projection. So like a finance type of a thing. Um, and yeah, I think just try to get really clear on what you're asking for. Um, obviously I'm happy to help people if they, um, are looking for somebody to work with on this type of thing. Awesome. We'll definitely have, uh, some contact info for folks at the end of the show and in the notes. So one thing I'm wondering about, you know, in terms of like forecasting cash flow is probably, you know, shortly following, uh, this kind of bottoming out of the economy and everything that's going on. I imagine there's a lot of like revisionist history in people's minds as to how much retained earnings somebody should let there be in their business or how much of a war chest a business ought to have. I bet a lot of people thought not nearly as much a year ago as that they think you ought to have right now. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I recognize that this is like a super complex question, but is there general, like say you're a freelancer and you know, in the beginning you're probably just paying the mortgage, but at some point you might set up a structure where you're actually letting money uh, profits that in the business, you're paying yourself a salary, whatever it might be. Is there guidance or wisdom you have with, when it comes to cash flow planning for how much profit you should let be in the business before you invested in something? Um, you mm-hmm. know, how much of a war chest people ought to have, or is that just too nuanced per business to answer? I think it's a really great question and a very close um, service I, way of thinking idea is uh, the profit first methodology methodology. So it is one that I have read part of, and then I thought this is too complicated. So I stopped. I know that it's very successful for a lot of people. Um, so profit first is a book that basically says no matter what, cause this guy, I'm forgetting his name. I think it's Michael something, but, um, the idea is that you always should be setting aside this amount of money of profit before you do anything else. And in conventional terms, you know, the profit is at the bottom of the income statement. So income expenses profit. And his argument is, you know, set your profit first and then everything else happens after that. And I do like that theoretically. The actual implementation feels complicated. I know they have a certification and you can work with certified pros. I think that, you know, we're all going to experience this differently and we all feel safe differently. Like some people, I'm going to assume that if you're listening to this show and you're a freelancer, you already have a higher appetite for risk than most people. I, even though I think having a job is even riskier in times like this, but I would say that have probably three to six months of expenses available. Maybe that's cash. Maybe that's credit cards. Maybe that's a line of credit. You know, all of my advice initially when this all started happening is increase all of your lines as much as you can just to have it available not to use it just to have it available. So I would say there are some fancy formulas like profit first. There's also fancy formulas that you can work in from like, how long does it take to get a lead? How long does it take to convert them? How much are they worth? And then you can really figure it out based on your lead volume and your cash in your bank. So again, I think the simplest answer is almost always the best answer here. Uh, And it is, you know, 
do you have kids? Do you have another person you're supporting? Are you helping support a parent or something like that? So you might need to be a bit more conservative. Um, I think a, a really easy, if you want just a quick answer would be three months of expenses available is really good. But it also might be a good time to look at your business model and perhaps switch it from billing after you do all your work to maybe you bill half of it up front. Maybe you bill all of it up front. We get paid every month in advance throughout the year before we do any of the actual work of the tax return. And I think we're in a world where that actually works for a lot of people because they're not writing a big check. They know how much my bill is going to be every year. And so it might be an opportunity to think about how you're charging for your time. But I'm curious to see if Megan has any thoughts on Profit First. I, I actually just recently, uh, I want to say finished the book about two months ago or so. So it's, it's a, I, I highly recommend it for anybody who's uh, even, even somebody like uh, I'm, I'm a sole proprietorship. Uh, some people have LLCs or others. So, um, but yeah, Mike, Mike Makalo, I, I actually can't pronounce it. Mike Makalowitz. <laughs> if anybody's looking for it, I'm sure we'll have a link in the show notes, but um, the, the thing that really resonated with me was, yeah, putting aside that 5%, even starting with 1% just as to get in the habit of getting mm-hmm. some private set aside and actually looking at your services and making sure that there is profit there first, which is really just what it really all boils down to. Right. Yeah. It does get a little complicated with the, like, uh, I think that you recommend setting up five plus accounts. Um, right. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting uh, setup that I'm, uh, I'm actually looking into. I don't know if anybody else's panel mm-hmm. looked into it, but. So that kind of gets to a question I just wanted to ask, which is as this reservoir is building up in your business is the best place for that to happen just in your business bank account or are there mm-hmm. other types of accounts or vehicles that you should be putting some money in to handle it better or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would recommend everyone has a separate business account for operating expenses and then also at least a separate income tax savings account. So I take some of the principles of profit first and apply them at least just to the tax portion. So what I'm thinking is, you know, if I, if everyone took my advice that I gave them of saving 30% of their um, cash for taxes, and maybe they didn't make their actual quarterlies last year, they're sitting on 30% of last year's revenue and maybe even part of this year's sitting there just in a fund that they could hold on to. And now that the deadline has been extended, they've automatically had this extra cushion. Okay. So that's an example of like the simplest thing is the best. I also am a fan of just any sort of these systems. So like the automatic millionaire is one where it's just setting things up to automatically save and set money aside for you. The other one is the richest man in Babylon, which is kind of this funny story, kind of odd, but funny about being in major debt and then just having a very simple system to pay yourself first, you know, pay yourself first 10% always. And that's permanent. And then, work on minimums and paying other things. And so I think the, any of these you can try on for size, like do you use a Mac or a PC? You should use a Mac now, you can use a PC. Um, Or what kind of car do you drive? It comes down to understanding what's right for you and and how you wanna uh, be successful and, and be realistic with yourself. So I think no matter what, try to have some sort of regular, as automated as possible system. Um, if you're the type of person who spends, maybe it's like the freezing the credit cards in ice, or maybe it's putting it in some sort of a savings account that takes a few days to get your money. Maybe it's one that you have to go into a credit union to get the money out of, um, if spending can be tough for you. So, you know, put the cookies as far away as possible type of a thing. Um, if that's the thing, I would probably say this liquidity that you want, the closer to cash, the better, meaning, not necessarily in like stocks, right? Like maybe that's something you also do and maybe work on retirement plans like solo 401ks, a SEP. If you don't know about a SEP and you're a freelancer or self-employed person, a SEP is almost always your best bet. Um, You know, those things are in addition to, and I wouldn't really think of retirement as like your emergency fund. Can I ask you something super tactical? Sure. Um, you had mentioned um, the deferment of deadlines. Do you know if the IRS in the U.S. has pushed back the quarterly estimate filing deadlines as well? 
So Q1, yes. So that's April 15th. April 15th is actually the first quarter of 2020 deadline. And we often think that's just all of 2019. Um, the second quarter, as far as I know right now, which is June 15th, which is a funky deadline because it's not actually after the second quarter, has not been extended to my knowledge. But, you know, again, this is something that I very highly recommend working with an accountant on and be super clear that you want support on quarterlies. I think most people go to an accountant, they pay 500 bucks, they get their filing done. And they're like, oh, also I need advice on all my quarterlies. That's a separate thing. That's something that we really try to leverage is advising on quarterlies because you can either pay the safe harbor amount or a projected actual. And thinking through that decision has so many different um, factors, including is there a W-2 in the picture? Have you moved? Is there other income or losses? Um, because the reality is not paying your quarterly estimates is a very cheap thing to do. Meaning, what do I mean? The penalties for not paying tax, half a percent per month. So if you owed $10,000 in tax, it would cost you 50 bucks in federal penalties not to pay it. So if you actually have the cash, especially right now, my general advice is don't make the quarterly payments. Keep the cash for yourself, you know, because maybe by the end of the year, you might not actually be at a profit or you might need to pay for some sort of medical care in the U.S., right? Um, so I think keeping the cash available is better overall. Now, that's general advice and also depends on your situation and your states and that sort of thing. But um, as far as I know, second quarter still due June 15th. That's a really interesting bit of advice about holding on to that as a form of savings, if you will, that you can tap mm -hmm. into. I had never even considered that. Um, something else I'm wondering about anyway, I mean, this is a little bit like, I, I guess, morbid from a business perspective, but mm -hmm. if, if you have a business, whether it's, um, you know, pure freelancing like dollars for hours, or if you, you know, have something else that you're doing kind of a mix of lines of business and, you know, the cash flow projection starts to uh, look pretty bleak. There's got to be a point. I mean, and there's there's a point where you pull the ripcord and and you think of something different, whether it's switching your business or maybe even going to look for a nine to five job. Uh, again, I get this is a little bit nuanced, but if people are out there listening and they're seeing their prospects dry up, are there good heuristics for asking whether you know this might not anymore be a matter of um, just tuning or really hitting the ground running with, with like outreach and trying to drum up business, but maybe there's something fundamentally wrong. Like, do you have in your mm -hmm. experience ways that they can recognize signs that th they're in an untenable position that doesn't look like it's getting better? Mm -hmm. Ooh, that is a nuanced question. Um, it's tough because like one of the books I always look at uh, when I'm feeling a bit discouraged is the Austin Cleon keep going. Uh, or even Seth Godin's What to Do When It's Your Turn, and It's Always Your Turn. And I am re remembering, I think in college, I was thinking, oh, I want to be a lawyer, I think is what I thought. And uh, I asked some speaker who is like a judge or something like, oh, are there, I heard there's too many lawyers out there. And his advice was, which is probably true, but his advice was, there's always room for somebody who is excellent at what they do and or doing good you know so i think that if what you're doing you are passionate about and you care about and um has some viability that my general advice would be to just keep going you know if you're doing something that maybe you're not totally committed to and and i think commitment is something that we all thankfully have time in isolation to think about as far as are you committing because your ego is saying, I have to do this and I'm the best and you're not actually listening. But I, there is, I think a very personal answer there that you just have to sit with and think through, am I really enjoying this? Am I really doing good? Am I helping people? Uh, is there an appetite for it? And then if it is, and you believe in it, I would just keep going, you know? Uh, but it might be a time to really think through, oh, am I just doing this to try to get rich? Am I just doing this to feel popular or famous or whatever it is? And 
that might be a way to really dial in what are our real motivations for some of this. That's great. I, I love that answer. Like there isn't a cut and dry. It's much more of that holistic look into the self. Do you dig it? Do you not dig it? Is it because you woke up yesterday and you were doing it before? So you just move forward. But it really does take that intentional pause to say, what am I getting out of this? Is it moving me towards mm-hmm. that dream? Mm-hmm. And I think everybody is experiencing this right now. And um, an advantage we have is the experience we have. And not that everything we've done, we have to continue doing. But the reality is we have this experience. I have this experience in single member businesses, S-corps, orderlies, small business, self-employed people, tax stuff. Um, So going through this period of time is only going to make me a better advisor. And it's going to help me communicate my value better. And so if you are in a field where people need you, and especially right now, in a year when you're having a conversation or in five or 10 years, that's going to give you a a patina in your conversation that is going to really help them understand and also give you confidence to know your value as well. I think that's something as self-employed or or freelance people, we often struggle with is understanding and communicating and commanding uh, our value. Heck, an amazing answer, my friend. I know a lot of people are, shall we say, um, less employed now than they normally would be. You know, clients mm-hmm. are not doing as much. We're sort of trying to rejigger things. And so people are looking to sort of learn new skills and Im- improve themselves uh, to get a better job. And we as freelancers are certainly doing that for our businesses. What sorts of things do you think would be useful for, assuming we have time, for freelancers to learn about finance-wise, tax-wise, that people typically don't know. And I must admit, I'm one of these people who goes to my accountant once a year for sort of the, the annual books, and he says a lot of things and points to a lot of things, and I sign on a lot of dotted lines, and I go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and then a year later, I come back, and we go through the same charade, uh, and I ask him hopefully yeah. slightly better questions. So, so like, what, what should we be looking to learn, given the opportunity? Yeah, I think because I'm an accountant and maybe talking more about this world would be more valuable for everybody is certainly spending time on understanding your financials. So some super basic things are, do you know what a profit and loss is sometimes called an income statement? Um, It's the same thing. Revenue, expenses, net. That's your bottom line. Do you understand those numbers? Can you point to it? Uh, If you're doing your own bookkeeping, the absolute number one thing you cannot F up is your bank rec. So do you know how to do a bank rec? Um, A lot of these are like really thankless accounting bookkeeper jobs that people don't totally get. And they're like, why am I paying a bookkeeper? A bank rec is one of the number one reasons. Um, Do you understand what your balance sheet is? You know, just to say, so what, what is a bank rec? Let's just make sure that I know. That the <laughs> <listeners> know. <laughs> uh, so uh, depending on the software that you use, there are probably a bunch of videos out there. But the idea is you have a set of books. Okay, let's say you're in QuickBooks and you have bank transactions, including like invoices and stuff. And they come through and we have this automatic feed and we're like, oh, we live in the future and everything is automated. Well, the problem is, these bank connections are not perfect. And so sometimes there's missing information or sometimes there's duplicated information or sometimes somebody paid a dollar too little on an invoice so it didn't match. So now I have this invoice and this payment. So reconciliation in the simplest terms is, do my books reflect the ending balance that my bank reflects? So is there a true foundation? It's like, the foundation of any good financials is a reconciliation. Are these numbers reliable? Okay, that's the name for what I spend endless hours back and forth emailing my accountant's bookkeeper about. Excellent, I can now exactly. put a name to this. So this is the sort of thing that would be that would be worth it for us to learn and dig into uh, so we have some time to sort of improve our understanding of our finances. Yeah, I think my advice is always to hire that out. But if you are doing it yourself, you need to make sure that you understand it. Um, I think the financial analysis is more important. So I'm going to say that on the level 101, what's a balance sheet? What's an income statement? If you're doing your own books, what's a bank rec? Um, If you're doing your own books, look into ways to hire a bench or somebody else. If you want a, a discount code, I contact me, I get a partner discount. And instead of a revenue share, I just give it to the client because I think that's more beneficial. Um, So there's lots of ways 
uh, to tackle that problem. Certainly, um, understanding this other big concept, gross margin, uh, which even I have trouble communicating, but it's this idea of how much money are you actually making? You know, and then uh, after revenue, expenses, time, and does a $10 increase in price really just mean $10 or does that increase your margin maybe 100%? So that's something to consider. Um, quarterlies, if you don't know what quarterlies are, make sure you have those down. If you don't have all of your deadlines burned into your brain, then now is the time to get flashcards out or write it on every single calendar you have, put it in your phone for the next 30 years you're freelancing. Q1 is April 15th, except this year. Uh, Q2 is June 15th. Q3 is September 15th. Q4 is January 15th. 1099s are January 31st. Um, you know, April 15th is your personal deadline. March 15th is S-Corp and Partnerships. Um, those you should be able to rattle off like I just did that. And if you can't, then now is a great time to just burn them into your brain. Uh, it's hard because I think people hire me to delegate a level of responsibility, but no matter what, you are always the taxpayer. And so you are accountable for late filings, penalties, interests. And, you know, the goal is to have some sort of a relationship with your accountant that you can have back and forth and there is an open line of communication. But if somebody's going to jail or is going to owe penalties for stuff, uh, almost always is going to be you. Uh, like Willie Nelson, I think is my favorite one. He opened up one of his chapters about owing millions of dollars in tax debt because he's like, oh, I just hired people to do it. You still have to be engaged in this process. So it's not a turn cruise control on and catch a couple Z's. It's a, hey, keep your hands on the wheel and make sure you're pointing in the right direction. Exactly. Mm -hmm. This has been a ton of information, information that I am sorry to say I did not know, but that gives me a plan for moving forward and making sure I do have the I's dotted and the T's crossed. Totally. Absolutely. Luke, any, any last advice you would maybe suggest to people since I guess we're, we're wrapping up? Sure. Uh, I would say that if you haven't read uh, Company of One, it was my favorite book of last year, for sure. As you can tell, I read a lot of books. Uh, and Paul Jarvis even says in here that um, I've always believed that good accounts should save you more money than they charge. This belief may be misguided. I have no studies or data to back it up, but nevertheless, my own accountant definitely does this. And he has a whole other section about an accountant is not just the person you talk to at the end of your business here when you file. You can use them as an advisor on all things related to government requests. You know, and as a CPA, it's my responsibility to say, actually, I can't help you with that. I don't know the answer. That's part of what I've been saying this week, but I've been helping people digest some of it and navigate that. So if you have time, which I'm assuming you probably do, now is a wonderful opportunity to consider finding an accountant who works with you, maybe in your state, maybe in your industry, maybe online. Um, and that will absolutely at least calm some nerves uh, around, around that. And if one of our listeners wants to uh, check your services out or find out a little more about you, where's the best place for them to go? The best way to get in touch is just to go to timbertax.co. And then right on the website, there's a book now button and I'd be happy to jump on a call. We do have a blog. We have a Facebook as well. So I was doing a private Facebook group for clients only and I've switched that to be public. So TimberTax or Facebook.com slash TimberTax.co every Thursday today. Uh, today's Tuesday. What day of the week is it? Um, every Thursday I do a uh, live at 2 p.m. Pacific. So usually it's about something that I've encountered with clients and applicable to everyone. So if you catch it live, then I'm happy to answer it. I also post those videos to YouTube uh, on the Timber Tax channel. We have a Instagram as well with some helpful info, including uh, some recommended reading. Nice. Great use of social media for a business that I would not think aligns with it. Well done. Well, perfect. Thank you so much, Luke. It was a delight to have you on and uh, get a perspective on how to move forward through this. Yeah, thank you all. It was nice, uh, good conversation. I appreciated it. And yeah, if there's anything that I can be helpful with, I really appreciate what you guys do too. Um, I know this is a very strange time and I really do believe that uh, we'll probably end up with more freelancers after all of this 
Uh, and that's part of why I do what I do is because my first job out of college as a government, uh, governmental accounting, I was fired from. And then uh, even at bench, like there was a reorg and a weird thing. And I was just like, you know what? I need to be my own boss. So I think a lot of people are going to come to the same conclusion. So this is important, helpful work. Did you just say that you were fired from being a government accountant? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Is is there a good story for that? Because like my because <laughs> like my 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 impression is like you go into government service and like basically you're you're there for life unless you like yeah. an axe murderer. I think the reality is I had just finished school and I decided to stay in in Laramie, Wyoming, where I went to university, and I made a bad decision as far as like work. I was the one staff accountant at the city. And I, as you can tell, I'm a little bit more about like tech and innovation and interesting so on. And so it was just a very, very bad fit for me. I literally had to write, hand write paper journal entries, get them stamped, enter them into like Microsoft DOS basically. And then, and then have a stack of journal entries, take them down to the basement, file them in this huge, yeah. So the, the idea of web-based bookkeeping and this, it, it works a lot better. <laughs> wow. Wow, indeed. Yeah. Sounds like something yeah, out of uh, Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, uh, the movie, not the country. The movie, not the country, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I didn't think I got that. What is that? A movie by Terry Gilliam, one of the Python folks, Brazil, B-R-A-Z-I-L, has a lot of scenes of like, oh, it's just bureaucracy flowing and hundreds of thousands of pieces of paper. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I'm pretty anti-bureaucracy. I, I got let go from a government job, uh, went back and then quit. <laughs> Yes. Same similar reason. And I was just like, nope, I've been off the boat. This boat turns too slowly for me. I got to yeah. go back out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, dear. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Luke. All right. Let's wrap up this episode with picks. Kai, what you got for us this week? The number one I'd recommend, it's a uh, software service. Youneedabudget.com. I've used for probably six years now. And I just love you need a budget because it makes budgeting so, so simple as, you know, on the individual side or as an independent business owner, I use it every day in my business and it gives me accurate measurements and accurate insight into my cash flow and my finances that I never had before. Strong recommendation. Excellent. Meg, what you got? Uh, mine, uh, I've got uh, this week freedom.to. Uh, it's a website and app blocker. Um, I've only been using it for a short time, but it's been uh, really helpful in minimizing those uh, distractions. And, uh, you know, uh, it, you can either uh, use it for scheduled sessions, um, for blocking out distracting websites or apps, um, or you can set, you know, just ad hoc sessions as you go, uh, and it will just uh, prevent you from being able to uh, see, you know, go on Twitter when you should be doing something else or want to be focusing on something else. So uh, if you try to go on while you've got a session running, uh, it will just have this lovely thing pop up. So you are free. You, the site is blocked. Go do something important. <laughs> it's very helpful. <laughs> that sounds amazing for some people I know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Eric, what you got for us this week? I'll do a couple. I recently got a, a present that is, um, it's called an Ember Wave. I get like, I, I do best in cooler and cold climates, so I get overheated a lot in the summer. And it's this personal cooling device, and I've been trying it out for a couple of days, and it actually does seem to make a difference. So uh, it works whether it's for um, making you cooler or warmer, depending on which thing you suffer with. Um, so at least from my experience so far, it, it actually seems to be surprisingly effective for a little thing that goes around your wrist. Um, and then the other one is in the episode talking about profit first. I'm not going to recommend that one already covered, but that same author whose last name I also don't know how to say, um, wrote a book called the pumpkin entrepreneur that, uh, I found to be a really good book. So for those of you listening who have clients, which is hopefully all of you, um, it's a really good book about how to pick what are kind of your best and more importantly, worst clients and how to turn 
you know, all of your clients into your best clients. So that is definitely worth a read. Excellent. Uh, Jeremy, what you got? Uh, so as we mentioned in the episode, I'm a uh, user of bench.co uh, for bookkeeping services. I really like it a lot. It's uh, sort of a more hands-off uh, alternative to you need a budget, uh, depending on what your kind of style is. Um, so I highly recommend that to people that want more of a hands-off uh, approach. Uh, and then also uh, the Independent Consulting Manual, uh, which is a book that Kai and I both contributed to uh, along with, what, like 12 other people, I think. Um, and it's a collection of, you know, our collected wisdom on how to structure freelancing and independent consulting businesses. Uh, it's got a lot of great info. We've just made it freely available uh, at the independentconsultingmanual.com, I think. Uh, I um, think there's no the there. We'll have it in show notes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have it in the show notes. Anyway. It's great. Independent consulting, man. Yeah. Excellent. A fine read. I, I, I read it before when it first came out. Great stuff. Um, and from my pick, uh, I'm going to recommend a relatively new book by Adam Davidson. He's best known for founding Planet Money at NPR. He works at the New York Times. He now works at the New Yorker. Um, he's done all sorts of stuff having to do with finance journalism and business journalism. The guy really, really knows how to tell stories and explain things in a beautiful way. And he came out with a book called The Passion Economy, The New Rules for Thriving in the 21st Century. Wonderful, wonderful read and not coincidentally dovetails with a lot of the advice we give on this podcast and that we suggest to entrepreneurs and to freelancers about finding your niche and be unique and find your voice and you don't have to cater to everyone, but just like page after page of fantastic advice, insights, stories uh, that he's collected over the years. So uh, a strong recommendation there. Um, and he also has a podcast, uh, I think it's for pay, where he reads some of these or he talks, he does it as radio journalism as well. The few that I've heard on the free sample are excellent, but the book stands alone on its own as well. That's our show for this week. Thanks so much to Kai, Meg, Eric, and Jeremy for joining me here. And thanks to Luke for being our guest. And we'll see you next week on the Business of Freelancing podcast.